0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Storytime the Shade. I'm your host and narrator, Wayne Anderson, and in this podcast, I read from my personal collection of unpublished stories for your listening pleasure. This week, we are continuing with The Hell Conduit, uh, a new longer story I hope you guys are into because there's a lot more to come. Uh, before we do get started, this episode is sponsored by Orange Hat Film Productions. Please go check them out and follow at Orange Hat Film Productions on Instagram, uh, they're building a great community of filmmakers and film fans, interested in learning more about Orange Hat behind the scenes, new and old projects, and the crew and cast involved in bringing their films from script to screen. You can find more on www.orangehatfilmproductions.com, and I highly suggest you guys to go check it out. I mean, if you've listened to my podcast thus far and you haven't gone and checked them out, what, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Without any further ado, here we go. Chapter 12 Jake knows immediately that something is different, wrong. There was always a sense of heat in his dreams, but this, I'm burning alive, is the first conscious thought he has. He opens his eyes and is surprised to see that there are no flames. He's also surprised, and incredibly thankful, but his eyeballs didn't immediately burst open and start spilling down his face in a mixture of boiling blood and gore. Interestingly, the extreme heat he felt on his skin didn't seem to be affecting his eyes, or his breathing. He took another cautious breath and was grateful that the air seemed like air, and didn't send fire into his lungs like he was expecting. With this handled, he turned his attention to where he was. It was dark almost black, but through the gloom ahead of him, he could make out a small room. Squinting, he could see across from him what appeared to be some sort of shelf. Emanating from it was the only light in the dark room. He couldn't tell what the shelf had on it and decided to look. Jake took a step forward and swayed. A sudden and intense wave of vertigo swept over him, seeming to send the room he was in rolling through space. His brain briefly made the association of Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. And then, just as suddenly as it had started, it stopped. He looked around the blackened room as if expecting to see the walls and floors shift, but they remained where they were. He took another cautious step forward, then another. Getting closer to the shelf, he could see that it was lined with glass jars. Jake groaned quietly as he approached thinking he already knew what was inside them. Organs, hands, maybe a severed head or two. Peering closer, he was relieved to see that he was wrong, but the relief was short-lived. The jars contained various moving liquids. At least, that's what they looked like. Some were filled with swirling reds and blacks, others with brighter yellows and blues. They were pretty, Jake thought but then he got closer. It wasn't until he was almost touching one of the jars with his nose that he saw something inside the liquid. A humanoid shape with a featureless face was screaming silently and clawing at the walls of its confines. It seemed to notice Jake peering at it and rushed towards the side of the jar closest towards him and started hammering on the glass with both of its shadowed hands. The jar shook slightly and Jake stepped back. He muttered to himself, What the hell is this? The heat and the pain, though bearable, seemed to be mounting. He lifted a foot to look at the heel of his sock, expecting it to be at the very least singed, and yet nothing. His sock was still white and not burnt at all. Part of him wanted to strip his clothes off, but he knew this would offer very little relief. He had to get out of here, and soon. Dreaming of Hellfire was one thing. This, however, didn't seem to be a dream. This was real. This was Hell. He sensed it more than anything, but he knew he was right. So where was he? A dungeon? Some sort of lair? Or were there houses in Hell? Did some demons have personal magma-front beach properties with rooms devoted to their hobbies and collections? If so, whose house was he in? His eyes, slowly adjusting to the dark, Jake makes out a door on the far side of the room. It's quite an ordinary door, though it wasn't made of wood. It seemed to me made of some kind of dark metal, an even deeper black than the rest of the room. Jake grabbed the door handle and immediately drew back, hissing. The doorknob was somehow even hotter than anything else so far and Jake looked at his hand, expecting it to be covered in blisters and boils, but no. His hand is fine. He takes a deep breath and as quickly as he can, grabs the door handle, turns it, and yanks the door open. The pain was immense, but temporary, and gone as soon as he released the handle. Jake looked through the door, mouth agape, temporarily forgetting to breathe, as he set his eyes for the first time on the sprawling landscape of hell. Then he began screaming, and he didn't stop. Chapter 13 Jake wakes up screaming and swatting at his body as if he was on fire, which he supposes in a sense he was. Of all the years of nightmares and flames, he had never before consciously been there, in control of his body. He wiped his forehead and wasn't surprised to feel a slick layer of sweat. He got out of bed and moved slowly to the bathroom, where he filled his hands with cold water and splashed his face multiple times before looking at his reflection in the mirror. What the hell is going on? Jake asked of his reflection. The reflection stared back stupidly. It had no input on the matter. He briefly considers calling Lydia, but doesn't know what he would say. I had a bad dream? That wasn't nearly the whole truth, but it was close. He had told Mel about his nightmares. Vaguely, of course. So why couldn't he tell Lydia? Well, because Mel was a little crazy himself, Jake thought. Lifelong metalhead, the idea of recurring nightmares of hell didn't seem to faze him too much. He's thought about being completely honest with Mel before, of course. But working for Mel was one of the decent constants in his life, and he didn't want to screw up the only job he'd ever liked by making his boss think he'd slowly been losing his marbles over the past few years. No, Jake had to deal with this himself for now. He wasn't able to get back to sleep and didn't want to, so he made himself busy around the house. He tidied and swept, did some laundry, and ate some breakfast. Before he knew it, it was past ten o'clock in the morning. The sun had risen bright and hot, and any inclination he had to go back to bed had vanished. He considered calling the widow bell before he left for his weekly visit, then thought better of it. She was always home. It would be a waste of time. He walked down the street to where she lived and rapped gently on the door. The widow, Bell, her name was Daisy, but she didn't use it and preferred to go by her last name, answered the door, her puckered and wrinkled lips drawing up slightly into the semblance of a smile. Oh, it's you. Come in, she said, turning around and shuffling into her front hall. Jake smiles enters and closes the door behind him, then walks to Belle to gently hold her elbow and lead her back to her chair. I don't need your help, Jake. Never did I need a man for nothing and I certainly don't need one now. She had said this in her typical crotchety fashion, yet made no move to draw away from Jake as he helped her back into her rocking chair. The television in the living room was on and showing old reruns of Wheel of Fortune. It usually was. She sighed deeply, she settled into a rocker, and Jake sat across from her. She still had to have a clear view of the TV, though. In a small, dusty love seat. So how have you been, Belle? Jake asked. She turned from Wheel, where currently someone was puzzling out a sentence and asking to buy a vowel. She eyed him suspiciously. How have you been, Jake? Am I that easy to read? He asked. She scoffed at him in a way that he believed was good-natured before she said, Your father had the exact same face when something was bothering him. Jake knew that Belle had given him a good deal on his rent because she had known his parents and what happened to them. He wouldn't have been able to afford it himself when he first rented there, but she had taken pity on him, and as the years went by and her age caught up to her, he had returned the favor, helping her where he could. Her husband's passing had left her with plenty of money, but it had also left her terribly alone. In the time since his parents' passing, he thinks that they had become friends, and because of this frequently forgot about her connection to his parents unless she brought it up. After all, he didn't think of his parents that much. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine, Belle, there's just some things I have to deal with, and yeah, I don't know if I can, that's all. I'll figure it out, though. I always do. She eyed him suspiciously for a moment before grumbling to herself more than him. And you sound just like your father, too. And he said something similar the last time I saw him. Chapter 14 after he felt he'd sufficiently assured Belle that he'd be okay, and that he'd see her again next week, Jake left her dingy, curtained apartment into the bright afternoon sunshine. He didn't push her on what she had said about his father, although he was curious. The last time she had seen him, he had things to deal with? Okay, Jake thought. I'm sure he did, but then he died, so whatever he had to deal with was probably left with me. Unaware of how close he had gotten to the truth, Jake began walking back to his own house down the road. He thought he saw the man in black again out of the corner of his eye, but when he turned to look he saw nothing. The old man with the horns and the raspy voice was nowhere to be seen. Jake breathed a small sigh of relief. The man in black unnerved him. He briefly had a thought that he was glad Belle wasn't a demon. When. As if summoned by the thought of them, the Zeppelin demon appeared from across the street, though this time he was in a Metallica shirt. Hey, man, he called, before looking both ways and then jogging across the street. Jake didn't stop walking, and he fell in line beside him. Why the hell do I keep running into you, Jake thought, and was about to voice it aloud when the demon spoke first. Are you okay? Jake stopped walking and turned to face him. He had a worried expression on his face, and this annoyed Jake. Look, I, I don't know you, and I don't know what you want, or why I keep running into you, but unless you're going to explain any of that to me, I'd really prefer you leave me alone. The demon nodded sympathetically. You must have so many questions, I can't imagine, honestly. The demon looked around and seemed to be under the impression that they were being watched. Look, I'll... I'll tell you everything I can, but not out in the open like this. Jake raised his eyebrows and looked around, saw nothing, and turned back. He was about to say something along the lines of, Just spill it, when he once again noticed what seemed to be a genuine look of concern and worry on the face of the demon. He sighed and said instead, Fine. Come on. that's it for this week thank you everybody so much for listening please remember to subscribe and leave a review if you haven't it would really help me out and part five of the hell conduit will be coming sometime next month so stay tuned thank you once again to orange hat film productions for sponsoring the show i hope you liked part four because there is once again a lot more to come Uh, and until next time have a good one